Howdy, this is Natalie Bublitz, PGY1 at Texas A&M University, and this is Clinical Pearls. Oh my goodness, if you just step back for a moment and take a look, over the last, oh, 30 years or so, of all the data regarding progesterone and preterm birth, I mean, it kind of reads like this melodramatic, ironic, twist-and-turn-filled love story, I mean, doesn't it? I mean, you have the villain preterm birth attacking the poor, innocent victims, which in this case are our patients. Ah, but here comes the potential hero, progesterone, to save the day. But as the story unfolds, we find out that that hero, that protagonist, is actually quite flawed. And at the end, that hero might not even be the hero that we once thought he was. Well, that is the typical story of progesterone. So in this episode, we're going to cover a brand new study that's coming out September the 1st, 2022. Remember, we're doing this on August the 24th, 2022. But this is coming out in print in the Gray Journal. This is a new systematic review and meta-analysis taking a look at vaginal progesterone and preterm birth. Let's put it into perspective, right? I mean, ever since the prolonged trial kind of threw 17-hydroxyprogesterone under the bus, we thought, well, at least we've got vaginal progesterone because that seems to work much better. That was according to the EPIC trial. Well, there's new data that shows that maybe that's not the case at all. So, Reddy, let's work through this sordid, torrid tale of progesterone in this episode. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Look, the concept that progesterone can keep labor away is nothing new. I mean, we've had that concept for decades. However, it wasn't until that original study came out by Paul Meese in the New England Journal of Medicine that took progesterone out of the dark shadows of lab benches and into the clinical world of, well, clinical medicine. That study showed that preterm birth could be reduced by the weekly injections of 17-alpha-hydroxyprogesterone at a dose of 250 milligrams. That study came out back in 2003. And since that first publication came out, ACOG and SMFM quickly jumped on that bandwagon and said, well, now we have, once again, that protagonist, that hero against this villain of preterm birth. And that stayed the current consensus really until the last, oh, two to three years. Well, the truth is, I mean, we didn't have anything like that before. This was the first rigorous placebo-controlled trial that demonstrated an intervention could reduce preterm birth in women with a history of spontaneous preterm birth. That Mies trial was heralded as a major advance in the field of obstetrics and led to the U.S. FDA's approval of Makina in 2011. Now, here's where things get interesting. The FDA said, hey, this looks great. I agree. We're going to approve this thing, get this thing out so that it can help lots of women fight the battle against preterm birth. But we're going to do so with one requirement. We're going to have to have a second confirmation trial to make sure that this medicine works. Well, that trial was known as the Prolong Study. Prolong stood for progestin's role in optimizing neonatal gestation. That began in 2009. The prolonged study was conducted largely outside of the United States. However, it did not confirm the previous results from the Meeks trial. 
this prolonged study failed to confirm the benefit of 17-alpha-hydroxyprogesterone caprate in women with the same eligibility criteria as the original MEES trial. This was so groundbreaking and so disturbing that in October of 2019, an FDA advisory committee voted 9-7 to seven to recommend that the FDA pursue withdrawal of 17-alpha-hydroxyprogesterone because, well, it didn't seem to work. And, of course, all, quote, hell broke loose, end quote, in the world of obstetrics. ACOG, together with the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, released their statement on October the 25th, 2019, regarding this prolonged debacle and, well, what to do with that information. The college stated, quote, ACOG recognizes that the prolonged clinical trial evaluating 17P in patients with a history of a prior spontaneous singleton preterm birth demonstrated no statistical difference in the co-primary outcome of preterm birth less than 35 weeks and neonatal composite index. Similarly, the rate of preterm birth less than 37 and less than 32 weeks were actually no different. No other differences in perinatal or maternal outcomes were detected. ACOG also understands that the authors suggest that the study was underpowered to assess treatment efficacy and that due to previous treatment guidelines, there may have been an unintentional selection bias, end quote. And that's where ACOG found the door still open. So ACOG says, look, this is part of shared decision making. Don't you love that? That's just such a great keyword, shared decision making. In other words, because preterm birth really is such a bear in the field of obstetrics, look, tell patients the data may not be as great as we once thought, but at least it's something that we can try in addition to close monitoring to try to keep preterm birth away. So ACOG's response is, hey, prolong, I get it. It's very disappointing, but we don't have anything else. So let's continue to offer that with full disclosure to the patient and let the patient decide. Plus, at least we still have vaginal progesterone. Okay, podcast family, no, I have not yet got into this new September publication. I'm just walking down the road of history so that it all makes sense, okay? So progesterone, hey, this thing may work as a concept. 2003, the Mies trial, let's give everyone a shot in the arm or a shot in the backside, wherever you give it, I am. Uh, And to try to keep preterm birth away in those patients with a previous history. Fine, then came prolong, no, doesn't seem to work. And that takes us now to March 2021. Yep, just last year in The Lancet came a new study called the EPIC trial. This was an individual participant data meta-analysis. EPIC, just to be clear, actually has three P's in it. So it's E-P-P-P-I-C. That's evaluating progestins for preventing preterm birth, an international collaborative. That's the EPIC trial. Okay, well, at least this study wasn't all that bad. I mean, the short of it is, look, they found, well, maybe it can help a little bit, but the data seemed to fall more in benefit in favor of vaginal progesterone. According to SMFM's response to the EPIC trial, SMFM stated, quote, Although the results of this study suggest that either 17P or vaginal progesterone appear to offer a benefit to women with a singleton gestation and either a short cervix or those with a prior spontaneous preterm birth, the certainty regarding the benefit, both maternal and neonatal, was greatest for vaginal progesterone, end quote. 
So what does all that mean? It says, look, well, according to this new evaluation in 2021, yeah, it's better than nothing. And it seems to be even better, the data, for vaginal progesterone compared to 17-OHP, especially in those with a short cervix. And that brings us to the new publication now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This study actually was released ahead of print back in June of 2022, but it's coming out in print officially on September the 1st, 2022. This is out of researchers out of Wayne State, and I know these providers are fantastic, but once again, they're shaking the world of high-risk obstetrics, specifically regarding progesterone and preterm birth. This article's title is, Does Vaginal Progesterone Prevent Recurrent Preterm Birth? in women with a singleton gestation and a history of spontaneous preterm birth, evidence from a systematic review and meta-analysis, end quote. So let's say the first thing off right away. First of all, this is a high-risk population. Those are singleton gestations with a history of spontaneous preterm birth. Those are the women that we're trying to prevent having another episode of preterm delivery since a previous history of preterm birth, of course, raises the risk of recurrence more than twofold. So it was the right patient population. The problem is the results weren't good. The results were so disappointing that the authors of this systematic review and meta-analysis actually are calling for a revision of ACOG's and SMFM's guidelines that still recommend the use of progesterone in women with a history of spontaneous preterm birth. The authors state that the results from this new meta-analysis are so solid and are derived from multiple studies, including randomized clinical trials, other meta-analysis, and even implementation research, that we just can't be offering this without full disclosures that the data is just, well, just not there that it helps prevent preterm birth. Some people advocate that vaginal progesterone is effective not only in women with a short cervix, but also in patients with a prior history of preterm birth. But according to these authors, they have just found and just proven that that is just not the case. Now remember, this is one of the advantages of doing systematic reviews and meta-analysis, taking all the similar studies together and then re-looking at the data. Because any one study, even though it's level one, can still have some inherent biases and flaws. But when you group studies together that are similar in design, that's where new results could actually show that were otherwise hidden by the individual results. We also have to make it very plain here. All right, now let's make it plain. I mean, let's just say it the way it is, all right? To think that all preterm birth is all derived from progesterone deficiency 
is just not true. I mean, we know that preterm birth is a syndrome. There's multiple mechanisms involved that can include infection, inflammation, decidual hemorrhage. There's vascular disease contributions. There's uterine overdistension. There's early activation of gap junctions. I mean, there's even a possibility of cervical disease causing disruption of the chorioamniotic attachment. There's all of these different factors, including a decline in progesterone action. That's why we just can't group all of these women with preterm birth together and say, surely progesterone is the issue here. That is completely possible. That's why progesterone does have some results on individual trials. I mean, there is something to it. I want to be very clear. There is a role of progesterone in preventing preterm birth. We've known that, and that's proven on lab bench studies. However, to say it's all related to progesterone is just wrong, and, well, it's a lie. Well, my goodness, the hero has fallen. Fail. Look, I I want to be very clear. I mean, we're kind of making this, you know, more lighthearted and it's not meant to be. I mean, preterm birth is a is a big deal. I mean, my first child, we've had preterm birth. My wife went into labor at 28 weeks, finally delivered at 34 weeks. So uh, trust me, I've been there. I, I get that from an academic standpoint, from a scientific standpoint and a personal standpoint. I'm not making light of this at all. But what I am trying to say is, my goodness, that's why we have to keep evidence-based. That's why we have to fight to know the data so we don't practice things that are just not right. I do believe, and the authors of this new study also state, that there is a role for progesterone when it's appropriate. And the problem is we don't know when that appropriate candidate is actually found (laughs) because there's no way to tell who's actually progesterone poor or who may actually benefit. So all to say, they're not throwing progesterone out completely. They're just saying don't use it as a universal panacea against preterm birth. It comes down to that shared decision making. It comes down to patient selection. And again, there's probably just nothing else that we have at this point. I'm a fan of vaginal progesterone. I think it does work, but it works best, it seems to be, maybe in those with a short cervix and those with a history of preterm birth, those two things together. But the data is just not all that good. So I'll leave it to you. Let me know what you think. Send me a message. It'd be a great journal club to go into and discuss the ever-evolving tragic love story of progesterone and preterm birth. As always, we're thankful for you. We'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.